coming up on this week's show, we talk with Coastal Magic featured author Megan Maslow about her Starfig investigation series. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 224 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willkanaus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Jeff and I were busy this past week, albeit we were doing it on different coasts. We'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. But this past week saw the release of a very special episode of the podcast Tea and Strumpets. Yes, episode 18 of the show featured Kat Sebastian's book, The Soldier's Scoundrel, and Zoe and Kelsey, who host the show, invited us to come hang out with them to talk about that book. It was the first time the show had read a Regency romance, an MM Regency romance, and so they asked us to come along and chat about it with them. I had the best time talking with them and breaking down the book the way that they do it. Zoe and Kelsey are the absolute best, and like I said on the episode itself, I don't normally get the chance to reread something, so it was an absolute pleasure to experience Cat Sebastian's book one more time, and to get to talk about it in detail with someone else who is like so enthusiastic about romance fiction, it was, uh, it was sublime. I really, truly enjoyed myself. And... It- Not just discussing the book, but discussing it with with two people who are so invested in Regency romance, too, which is not really a genre that either one of us reads all that often. So it 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 was so much fun. And we've listened to the show outside of our segment, too, because they really do an in depth breakdown on the book and hearing them. Talk about the book in that detail. I found just absolutely wonderful. We've got a couple of clips we could share with you. One of the things that we talked about is that they give the characters a rating. And so we had to deliver our ratings on the characters of Jack and Oliver as well. And then they also do the feminist recap in the show. And so we got to weigh in a little bit on that. We have those clips that we can share with you now. just felt that that changed just a lot more in it fit with him but also was it just a bit more external and I saw a little bit more of it so for me that's why he rates higher see for me Jack rates just a touch lower interesting Mm. if only because of all that gruff exterior it's like gotcha a little too much a little too much I felt like he was hard on Oliver a little bit too long Mm -hmm. even while he was trying to ease his inner turmoil over it it's like dude, cut the guy a, a break here, you know? Yeah, totally uh, And again, fair. it's only a touch. Like, you know, if, if Oliver's the 10, Jack's like the nine, nine and a half. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is that Oliver sees him. Oliver knows what's going on. He thinks it's sort of cute and amusing. He's like, oh, <laughs> Jack, I see what you're doing there. You're pushing me away. You're totally into me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and also, the fact is that Jack got shot protecting his man. So uh, that's 10 out of 10 behavior for me. Uh, all right. Fair. <laughs> fair. Totally, totally fair. This book was obviously a wholehearted supporter. We usually say supporter, neutral, or offender. And uh, I don't think anyone here, everyone's nodding. So I think we're all in agreement. This book is is a super supporter. I thought this was a supporter on many levels. Because Jack's whole thing is he doesn't take men clients. He only takes females because they're the ones who need his help the most in some cases. Well, he, t- he does take males. He just won't take gentlemen. So people, people who need his help, right? So yes. he's but that's yeah. why I say supporter. Yeah, exactly. Screw those privileged white dudes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Any book that says screw the privileged white dudes is probably a feminist <laughs> supporter. <laughs> yeah. and I really like Sarah because Sarah's not having any of it. No, she oh, isn't. You know? I love her. She like eyes him askance. She's like, I'm not going to throw you out, but I'm not going to tell you you're fantastic either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Thank you once again to Zoe and Kelsey for inviting us to join them in the discussion. If you're interested in this particular episode, just check out Tea and Strumpets wherever you can find your podcast. Or if you prefer, simply go to the show notes page for this episode. We will have the link for you right there. Now it's time for Romance Revisited, our look at some of the gay romances that have recently been re-released. Remember, if you haven't read it yet, then it is new to you. I have pulled together three to talk about this week uh, from the list that we've got. First up is The Edge of the World by Garrett Lee. Shay is living the dream on tour with his pirate folk rock band, but you can't know where you're going until you know where you're from. And that's where moody filmmaker and researcher Ollie comes in. The band's management persuades Shay to let a television company film a documentary about his roots beyond his adoptive Irish family, and Ollie comes into his life knowing more about Shay than Shay's ever known about himself. But when Ollie holds the key to Shay's past, he's also hiding deep scars. Even as the hardships of the tour bring them closer, Ollie's demons threaten the blossoming romance. They might both reach the breaking point before Ollie realizes he's been standing on the edge of the world for too long, and it's Shay who holds the key to his future. This is a friends-to-lovers rock star road-tripping romance with a guaranteed happily ever after. And that was The Edge of the World by Garrett Lee. Next up is Unspeakable Worlds, which is the sixth sense book number one by Sarah Matson. He's an uptight by-the-book agent paired with a reckless maverick. What are the odds that they'll fall for each other? Special Agent John Flynn is everything Jerry Parker is not. Dangerously handsome, coolly charismatic, and respected by his peers. Special Agent Parker is dedicated and meticulous, but his abrasive personality has given him a reputation for being difficult. When new information on a cold case appears, Parker is assigned to work with Flynn and sparks fly as their investigative styles clash. Contact with a strange artifact changes everything when it bestows unusual and unpredictable powers on Flynn, and the two men must learn to trust each other before a killer strikes again. That one was Unspeakable Words by Sarah Matson, And last up this week, we actually have a book that is one of Will's favorites from late last year. It's called I've Got This, which is a Joy Universe novel by Louisa Masters. Derek Beyer loves his life. His job as an assistant director at Joy Universe, the second largest theme park complex on the planet, makes him indirectly responsible for bringing joy to millions of people. So what if none of his relationships are that close? Everyone he meets loves him except Trav Jones. For some reason, the visiting Broadway performer would rather Derek just go away. He appreciates Derek's work ethic, though, and after Trav steps up when Derek desperately needs someone to fill in for his sick staff, Derek seizes the chance to convince Trav he's not such a bad guy. Falling in love while distracted by a murder at the park, food poisoning, and colleagues placing bets on their relationship won't be easy. But between the two of them and with the magic of Joy Universe, they've got this. Now, we really love I've Got This by Louisa Masters, and you can learn even more about that book back in episode 207 when we talk to Louisa about it. If you'd like to browse this week's complete list of re-released titles, head on over to the show notes page for episode 224 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart at Amazon.com. So as Will mentioned this week, we, we were both busy, but on different coasts, which sounds actually fancier than it was. I was in New York for a couple of days this week for my day job work. And I did take advantage of being in the city, though, to check out a couple of Broadway shows. And I got to see two brand new shows that I'm so happy I saw them because they're just outstanding. The first one I saw is the new revival of West Side Story. This production is notable for a number of reasons, the centerpiece of which is that it's the first time 
that the show's been revived on Broadway without the original Jerome Robbins choreography. And it's also been heavily revised by director Ivo Van Hove, who has been known over the past few years for bringing revivals in and really looking to strip them down to the bare essentials. This show happens mostly on an empty stage. There's a lot of use of video projection here. They've actually trimmed the show down from its usual two and a half hour running time to a more streamlined hour and 45 minutes. And with that, they've also removed songs. I Feel Pretty has been excised from this show. The Somewhere Ballet sequence has been removed from this show. And what you're left with is the core of the story. West Side Story, of course, is a retelling of shorts of Romeo and Juliet. And in this case, you've got modern day street gangs, the Jets and the Sharks, who are not too happy that they that there's been an infiltration of turf by these Latinos who have come into the country. So the story is very much the same as we're used to. It was a revelation for me to see this because I've never seen it on stage and I've only ever seen the movie. And even that is now decades <laughs> removed from my consciousness. And so to really watch it retold with gritty modern day hip hop style dance and more modern choreography than we're used to seeing in this show. And also with the current political overlays where people in the country, you know, we, we're very anti-immigration right now. And with the police brutality that, you know, has been really in the forefront of the news, it all laid something new over the top of West Side Story, I think, for most people in the audience, myself included. The staging itself for me was really revolutionary. The use of the video, which includes Steadicam operators on stage, really up close and personal with the actors and displaying this video on the back wall of the stage. And I've actually read a little bit about this since I've seen the show. And it's meant to emulate how everybody captures stuff with cell phones now. One of the interesting things that was in this production as well is that there is gender queerness that's represented in the Sharks gang with the character of Juano. They present a lot of male characteristics, the hairy chest, uh, bearded face, but also more feminine style clothing. And they dance with the women in some of the key scenes in like America and some of the other songs. So that was really interesting that at the same time, we've got turf warfare happening between these two cultures, that the, the gender queerness is there and not a debate at all. So it's a really interesting dichotomy that happens there. Some really extraordinary performances in this cast. Shireen Pimentel is making her Broadway debut as Maria. Her vocal range blew me away. And I cannot wait to get the cast album so that I can hear her sing some of these songs again. Sadly, I did not get to see Isaac Powell in the role of Tony. Isaac got hurt back at the end of December, right after the show began its preview run. And my luck would have it that he just went back in the show three days after I got back uh, from seeing the show. But very glad he's back in it. I got to see Jordan Dobson, who played Tony excellently. The choreography here is outstanding, and I think it's probably this choreography that is getting people hurt because everything from the rumble through the end of the show is actually uh, done in the rain. And so people are doing this outstanding, intricate choreography on a very wet stage. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this show does when it opens. It officially opens February 20th. Certainly the crowd I saw it in were on their feet and applauding through the entire uh, production. I highly recommend it. And I would love to go back to when we're back in New York at some point, if it's running, I think you should come with me to see it as well. I've never actually experienced West Side Story on the stage either. So this sounds really intriguing. The other show that I got to see that was brand new is Jagged Little Pill. And it is a musical that, uh, as you can imagine, uses the music from this Alanis Morissette album. And it also uses some of her other back catalog. I think the theater gods sent me to this show on purpose. <laughs> I had had my eyes on going to see Come From Away. And it had been up on TKTS for half-price tickets. And when I arrived to get a ticket, that show had been removed because it had sold out. And so I decided to take a, take a shot on this. And I was absolutely blown away. 
Not only is it directed by Diane Paulus, who has done some extraordinary work these past years. She's the director behind The Waitress musical. She did the recent revivals of Pippin and of Hair. It has a book by Diablo Cody, who won an Oscar a few years back for Juno and has done several other motion pictures. And put them together with some Alanis Morissette music, and it was really an extraordinary evening. The story that they've constructed here is of a suburban Connecticut family who is looking really good from the outside, but they are really cracking apart on the inside. You've got Mary Jane, who is the mom, recovering from a car accident and getting addicted to pain pills. Steve, the dad, is honestly a workaholic who's missing a lot of what's happening at home. Their older son, Nick, is on the way to the Ivy League, but really has only made that step and done the work to please his parents. And then there's Frankie, their adopted African-American daughter, who is figuring out who she is, and she's getting into activism and admitting her bisexuality and really trying to figure out what her place in the world is and what it has meant for her to grow up in this white family. The show is chocked full of social commentary from the opioid abuse to the idea that status matters above all else. There's elements of Me Too, white privilege, sexual assault, and yet the show never feels preachy either as it covers one year from a Christmas season to the following Christmas season. And you really get into this family's struggle to get by in this world. It's very reminiscent to me of some other family-focused shows like The Reason Next to Normal, like Dear Evan Hansen, and even Shades of the Glass Menagerie kind of show up in here for me. I have to say that the women rule this show. Elizabeth Stanley as Mary Jane, Celia Rose Gooding as Frankie, Catherine Gallagher as Bella, and most in particular, Lauren Patton as Joe. It's Lauren who really just brings the house down with her version of You Ought to Know in the second act as she just tears into Frankie um, for really screwing her over. It is so fierce and so visceral. It literally stopped the show as the audience got to their feet after she had finished this performance. I've, I've not experienced anything like that in theater in quite some time. And I honestly don't know how the neighbors to Jagged Little Pill, which is Phantom of the Opera on one side, and To Kill a Mockingbird on the other, don't hear the thumping bass line out of this song during their own performances. And most interestingly, the show also turns on a dime because right after You Ought to Know finishes and the audience settled back into their seats, your, your mood pivots immediately because the next song up is the opening piano chords of Uninvited. And I will say after that, I needed tissues that I did not have because nobody told me that I was going to end up a bawling mess in Jagged Little Pill. I cannot recommend this show enough. It opened on December 5th. It is on an open run on Broadway. And you could check out a little bit of Lauren's Fierce, You Ought to Know. She performed that song alongside Alanis Morissette during New Year's Rockin' Eve, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. So on Thursday night, I was back home and took in, for my third time, Dear Evan Hansen. Of course, this is the story of a young man who gets caught up in a web of lies when a letter that he wrote to his therapist under the, his usual title of Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be a good day and here's why. In this particular letter, though, he wonders if anyone would even notice if he disappeared. And that letter ends up in the hands of another classmate who ends up and kills himself. And while everyone believes this is the suicide note, Evan lets this happen. And it starts to create more and more of a snowball effect because he can't seem to figure out how to undo all of the deception that he's created. This has become one of my favorite, favorite shows since I first saw it, I think almost three years ago now. This is a solid cast in the Turing Company, led by several cast members who were with the run in Toronto last year. Stephen Christopher Anthony is the third Evan that I have seen, and I really enjoyed him. I, I so much like seeing the different ways that actors portray Evan because they all have their own little tics and their own little ways to represent Evan's anxiety and, and really uncomfortableness in the world. And he did a great job. The thing that struck me about this production in some ways wasn't the actual production itself. There was somebody who was sitting behind me who it was clearly their first time to see the show. And as Evan started telling these lies and building more and more 
of this mountain of deception that he got himself into, she would be back there very quietly going, oh no, no. And she reacted this way through the entire show. And normally this would, this kind of distraction would really bother me, but somehow in this case, it really just added to the show kind of being a witness to this person seeing the show for their first time and really seeing how it all clicks together. This touring company continues at least into September at this point. And of course, the Broadway and London productions continue. It's notable that Jordan Fisher, who's been on Broadway in Hamilton, recently won Dancing with the Stars and appeared as Mark in last year's Fox's Rent Live, takes over for Evan on Broadway starting January 28th for a 16-week run. I don't think I'm going to get to New York to see that, unfortunately, but I, w- I look forward to seeing hopefully some video of him in the role. One other quick theater note that I have, taking a moment to shout out an article I read in the January playbill that I got uh, during the New York shows. Alexandra Billings, who has been seen in the Amazon original series Transparent, is taking over the role of Madame Morble in Wicked starting January 20th. Now, this is notable because it's the first time the character has been played by an openly trans performer. In this article, Billings says this, Quote, being a mixed race trans person, I live in a world that continues to be a place for a specific kind of person. My whole life has been about survival and trying to be seen in a world that does not acknowledge my existence. For me, that's true of Morble. She has risen in a way that no other otherized human has. And she recognizes Elphaba from the beginning, that there's something in this human I need to tap into so that we can survive. Kudos to Alexander for getting this role. And it's great to see this type of trend continue because we also saw recently that uh, Pose's MJ Rodriguez played Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors during a recent run of that show in Los Angeles. So that is my theater roundup. I highly recommend all three of these shows if you get the chance to uh, take them in anytime soon. So let's dive into some books. You went back to the Fairyland theme park. So from Broadway to books, I'd like to quickly talk about something I recently read. It's Mischief and Mayhem by Jackson Knight, and it's the second book in the Fairyland Romance series. This book features Cody. He is a security guard in the Enchanted Forest section of the Fairyland theme park, and we met him in the very first book, Rival Princes. And the beginning of this story finds Cody at a... uh, He's in a a tough spot. He keeps trying again and again to ride the park's newest roller coaster, Spaceship Mayhem, and he can't seem to make himself do it. Every time he gets close, he experiences extreme anxiety tied to some post-traumatic stress from his time serving in the Air Force in Afghanistan. So... Over and over, he tries to ride this coaster, and each time he makes a beeline for the chicken door. One of the ride operators, Dean, notices this, and one day he approaches Cody and sees if he can help. Now, Dean is all sunshines and rainbows and unicorns. He's like made out of pure glitter. Everyone loves him because he's just the most likable guy you could know. Probably the exact opposite of Cody, who's a little bit surly and withdrawn, uh, a big, bad, brooding security type, if you can imagine that. So from this description alone, I think this probably ticks a lot of boxes for certain readers. This particular pairing probably does it for a lot of people. It certainly did it for me. And so <laughs> from this very first meeting, Cody and Dean embark on a friendship. And here's the thing. Even though they both find each other wildly attractive, they immediately focus on what they can't offer one another. Cody, unfortunately, sees himself as sort of a damaged vet and Dean sees himself as sort of maybe a little too young and too flighty to have a real relationship with anyone significant. So they each automatically put the other in the friend zone, which in most cases might kind of annoy me because it's a a misunderstanding that could easily be cleared up with the simplest of conversations. But the fact that they are in the friend zone actually gives them time 
to become genuine friends. And I think that is like the heartbeat of this particular book, the genuine friendship that eventually leads to love. So as as they spend more and more time together, Dean gets his, in his head that he is going to help Cody conquer his fears and get him on this roller coaster. So he reads up on immersion therapy so they like stand outside the coaster and watch the car go by you know one after another people are screaming and having a great time and dean is like see they're having fun and cody's like i don't think so and (laughs) they eventually decide they'll ride the coaster together cody uh, and dean they're going to like hold hands and be there for one another and cody to his credit almost manages to do it but at the last second he realizes he can't and he gets out of the car and makes a beeline for the entrance to the park and keeps on going he goes to a local bar and ends up getting very drunk because he's genuinely humiliated he did not want to do that and experience that in front of this guy that he genuinely likes and wants to impress. I mean, that's pretty human. I can understand that. Unfortunately, he gets himself messy drunk and has to call Dean to come pick him up. And Dean takes him back to his place and gives him a glass of water and some aspirin and helps him sleep it off. Some wonderful, like, hurt comfort themes going on there. And I think that's one of the other things that I found really charming about this story is is that both Dean and Cody are in their own ways searching for not only friendship, like I mentioned before, but uh, a certain kind of connection and a certain need to take care of someone. And that's what they find in one another. So Dean assures Cody that he doesn't think less of him for chickening out at the last second and then invites him to like a family barbecue. And Cody, you know, reluctantly agrees and he realizes that, you know, connecting with people isn't such a horrible, bad thing. He sort of like put up these walls after he's returned home from Afghanistan and he's realizing that letting down some of those walls that experiencing life isn't really such a bad thing after all. So <laughs> there's a bit of a dance between Dean and Cody. They kind of flirt ever closer to that line that sort of like demarcates the friend zone to boyfriend zone. Eventually they get there and there is a really hilarious and strange fight they have when Dean (laughs) amusingly brings up the concept of marriage. Eventually they do manage to work things out and they live happily ever after just like a fairyland romance movie. The question still remains, though, did Cody ever manage to ride that coaster? And this is something I asked myself when I was about like halfway through the book. And there's really like one of two ways that this story could go. Either Cody is eventually going to conquer his fears and ride Spaceship Mayhem, or he is going to realize that he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody and he doesn't have to ride it at all because he's got the love and support of the man that he loves. And I'm not going to tell you what the actual outcome was. Uh, See, I don't give everything away in my reviews. Anyway, I really liked Cody and Dean's story. I highly recommend if you're looking for a sweet romance in a unique setting that you give Mischief and Mayhem a try. If you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else we talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 224 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash BigGayFictionPodcast and see what we get up to next. This week I'm very happy to welcome back to the show Megan Maslow. She was last here back in episode 105 And this time out, she's here as a Coastal Magic featured author, and we're going to get to find out all about the new Starfig Investigation series book that she's working on. Welcome, Megan, back to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. So good to be back. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you in just a few weeks at Coastal Magic, too. I know. I can't wait. First of all, warm weather and then great people, great books. It's going to be amazing. And a beach. And a beach. Yes. (laughs) 
So you're gearing up right now for book three in your Starfig investigation series. I am indeed, yes. yes. Tell and everybody it's... what that series is about. Okay, so Starfig is kind of an odd series in that when people say, so what, what genre is it? I'm like, well, it's comic and it's fantasy romance and it's got a P.I. for the main person though. So it draws on a little of everything. It's really, I call it mischief, magic, and murder. It's got all those elements. You're gonna have dead bodies, you're gonna have comedy, and you're gonna have some magic thrown in. And it's really meant to be adventuresome and lighthearted, and, but yet have some real issues in it too. So it's, it's a fun series to write. When you say real issues, what are we, what are we looking at there? Well, you know, the backstory for what the for um, Quinn, who's the main love interest for Twig Starfig, is, you know, he's a, he's a human who's in a realm that they don't allow humans without magic, and he doesn't have magic. And so he's basically brought in as a slave. And the first book is really about his journey also and Twig's journey together and becoming, I mean, they call him an indentured servant, but in, in reality, he has no rights. And, 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 you know, and Twig having to make some pretty hard decisions about the path his life is going and about stepping in for Quinn and also Quinn being able to advocate for himself. So it, even though there's very much there's this lighthearted element to it, there's some, you know, hard backstory. And you're not seeing it. I'm not showing it on the page. But you know it's there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of hierarchy. These are not egalitarian societies. And you see that. Um, but you see it in a way that is lighthearted and funny at the same time and you see you see hope because i like to write about hope and the idea that things can change mm -hmm. it sounds like it must have been fun to build the world as yeah. you prepared to write so i'm a pantser <laughs> whoa so, yeah yeah so i didn't actually know what the world looked like until i started writing it and and what i do is i have i use scrivener as my playbook for after the fact and so what I, so once I wrote the first book, I started putting stuff in like, oh, and this happened and this happened. Oh, I guess, well, this is something for this part of the world. And I do that with each book I write. I have to add in elements. So, and, you know, and then going forward, know that those elements are there. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of a surprise for me. But I figure if I'm surprised, the reader will be surprised. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I've heard other writers, you know, go down that path, too. Even with mysteries, for example. Like, if I don't know who the killer is yet, my reader's not going to figure it out either. <laughs> Right. Well, that's how I do it. And, and, you know, I'm trying to learn to be a little bit more of a plotter, at least with certain spots so that I can keep me moving forward at times. Cause sometimes I write myself into a corner and I'm like, well, what do I do now? You know? And I was like, I don't have a plan. Right. So I, I am working a little bit on, on, on taking pieces and, and trying to plot a little bit, but really I'm a pantser at heart. So yeah, the world building was, was interesting that way because it was like, Oh, I would realize something partway through and be like, well, this is how this works. Um, and there were different pieces that I wasn't sure how they worked until the second book or the, now the third book that suddenly things that I put in and didn't think much about. Now I understand why. Mm -hmm. Have you hit a point where it's like, Oh, wish I hadn't have done that. Yeah, I think, but I think even when you plot, I think there's probably a few of those moments where you get further into a series where you go, oh, it would have been so much more useful if I had done this, you know? And there are a few of those moments for sure where I felt like, oh, because you know what I would have done? <laughs> but, but yeah, but I haven't had too many of those. So I've been, I've been fairly fortunate. That's good. I like the world. Yeah, I like the world I've created. I like the guys I've created. I like the, I like the sidekicks and the people who come out and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it as a, as a whole. Mm-hmm. And tell us, what can readers expect in the new book, His Fairy Share? Okay, so the first book is basically the classic fantasy trope, but it takes everything and makes fun of it and kind of turns it on its head in a very loving way. Because I do, I love fantasy. But there are tropes just like there are romance. The second one follows much more of a PI trope. So it's the case that they get and they have to go on and they're <clears throat> trying to solve this case. The third one, though, is where Quinn because of his past, really has to go home and deal with it. And part of him, you know, he's kind of, he's established this life that he really loves. And so part of him is like, well, how bad can it be, you know, to go home and do this? And they always ask that, well, how bad can it be? And you know, as soon as one of them says that, it's going to be really, really bad. And that's one of those things I love to use in a, you know, like, 
what, what could possibly go wrong? Um, everything. Everything goes wrong. And so this is the book about that. And it's really, uh, the other two books are told from Twig Starfig's perspective only. So you know Quinn and you get to know him as the love interest of Twig, but this is his book. And this is the reason it's taken me so long to write it. Because Twig is a very easy character. He's half dragon, half fairy. He's, he's a lot of id. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't sit there and angst over a decision he makes. He makes a decision. He doesn't feel a lot of guilt or other things. He's very much the dragon. He's like, well, they needed to be eaten, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go. And Quinn is very human, and he has undergone some trauma. And so he, you know, he has a much more complex, let's say, way of looking at the world. And so that's a much harder voice to write. And especially to keep it in the same vein where it doesn't get so bogged down. Because even though even though he has had this these things happen, these stories are fun. I mean, they're meant to be funny. They aren't meant to be like, oh my God, you know. They really are meant to be quite humorous. And so I had to then figure out, well, how is he grappling with this very hard thing? And yet there's still going to be these elements of humor in it, even as he takes on his past. So it's, it's been a much more challenging book for me to write than the other two. And I don't know what the final tally is going to be, but it's probably going to be about 120,000 words. And just to give you a sense, my last one was 100,000. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's significantly longer, but it needed, it really needed the space. And, but the more that I'm, you know, I'm in, like I said, I'm kind of, I just finished, I, I have about three or four paragraphs left before I can really write the end on it. And I, I'm, I'm going to be so happy, <laughs> but, but, but I've already decided, you know, like you go to this, that, that kind of cycle with your books, like, oh my God, I hate this book. Oh my God, everyone's going to hate this book to kind of coming back around and seeing what you have. And I think I'm, I think this is one is going to be one that I feel very proud of in the end. Mm -hmm. And that's always the best feeling is when you, when you pivot yeah. back around that corner to like, Hey, this, oh, this book, that corner, right. <laughs> Do you have a release date in mind yet as you're, you know, still working to put the final paragraphs in? Every time I, I try to give one, I'm so far off that it's been pathetic, but I am really almost done with this. If, if I'm fortunate in my editors and my own editing is able to get, if I'm able to get it together, what I'll try to do is print a few copies for Coastal, but I won't have the official release date until probably right after. Okay, so yeah. the book probably in March, but those going to Coastal might get a little sneak peek, maybe. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers there. We'll see. You know, I'm always amazed when someone says, like they'll write on Facebook, I finished the book today. You know, I finished the book today, the first draft. Woo, edit's next. And like three days later, they're like, okay, so the release date's next week. I've done finished with the edits. And I'm like, oh my God, what does your first draft look like? Because <laughs> my first draft is not able to be that thing. Yeah, mine yeah. either. Mine needs at least another like month usually. I know. Well, that's the thing. So, but this one I'm gonna really—it's the only thing I'm focusing on right now. So, once I'm done with it, it goes out to. I have a whole series of editors who look at it for different areas, and then I'll also be going over it. So I'm hoping. But you know, the real thing is Amazon and and how fast I they'll be willing to print copies and send them for me. Right. So, so we'll see. Coastal may have we'll books. See. Otherwise, books. March. Otherwise, March. <laughs> what more do you have planned for Starfig going forward? So, so far in my head, I have eight books, which is funny for a pantser because you think I wouldn't know that. Well, I was um, going to ask how that connects to being a pantser. So. Yeah, because once you start something as a pantser, threads start taking off and you, and you start just following them. But you realize they actually, that's the weird thing about being a pantser is that you really actually have direction. You just don't know it if it's when you start. But as you go along, you really start to see it come together. And and so I know that book four, I've already started. I've already written part of, because again, I'm back in Twig's voice, super easy for me. I get him very well. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, it kind of, it's going to be his. Book five is probably actually going to be Bill's story, which is his side character, who everyone keeps writing me and being, is Bill going to get a story? Yes, he's going to get a story. Book six, I'll go back to Twig. Seven, I'm not going to say yet because I've got some ideas for. And then eight will probably be the final in there. And I have no clue other than that'll be in Twig's voice. I don't know what that one's about yet. I, the threads are not there yet for that one, but they are through book five at least. Very cool. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, this 
series essentially came from your love of fantasy. It did. What authors or books like heavily influenced you as you started to create Starfig? So the person who is absolutely most influential was Robert Asprin and his, his Mything Inc. series, because all, you know, because mine are based on puns too. So he'll, he'll have like myth conceptions. Well, mine is, you know, by fairy means or foul, which is by fair means or foul. You know, be fairy game, be fair game. In this one, his fairy share. Well, it's his fair share. And so, you know, all of them are plays on words. Um, Robert Asprin was also very tongue in cheek with fantasy. He understood that it's a lovely, you know, genre to write in, but you can have some fun with it. You don't have to have everything just so, or you can, but you can make fun of it while doing it. You know, so like, for example, Quinn is the first wizard in a thousand years. That's such a trope in, in fantasy that the wizard emerges and all of this, right? And, and so things like that where I could play with it, though, because, of course, it doesn't ever go as the way you expect it to be. And so, yeah, Robert Asprin's my big one. I used to read a lot of Piers Anthony, too, who's also humorous. But I also was hugely impacted by Anne McCaffrey. You know, I, I loved uh, Madeline Engel's work. Wrinkle in Time was like, wow, they could have a female protagonist, as, as was the Perm series. I was like, wow, there can be a female protagonist. So that was great as well. But yeah, but this one, it's really an homage and a, and a love letter to Robert Aspen, probably, if I had to pick one person. Nice. Very cool. What else do you have going on in 2020? More Starfig with four, or are you going to look at some other, other works? I owe it to my fans, because usually I put out about, for the Starfig ones, I put out about one a year, and I didn't put one out last year, so I will get two this year to make that up to them, because they've been very patient and kind. <laughs> considering that. <laughs> so I'll do that for sure. I'll, I'll try to get book four out. I also have a short story that's between book three and four that I'm going to do my best to get out this year. I have a couple other ideas that are kind of, again, comic, fantasy, more paranormal, I guess I would call them, two of them that I'm thinking about. So we'll see where those go this year. And I'm also talking to a, uh, a person who in MM who I really adore and we're talking about possibly doing a collaboration and that one would, if we do would be more it would still have the murder for sure I have to have dead bodies they just show up in my and any of my romance is like oh my god there's a dead body where did that come from <laughs> well, surprise. surprise but so this one would have this would be probably a three book series starting you know and it would be with a definitely be more of a murder kind of uh, romantic suspense I guess you'd call it but we'll have to see if that works out and you know if we're compatible and all of that because we just don't quite know yet but we're going to talk about it at least so I'm excited about that because I've never collaborated with, with an author before in that way yeah. I was going to ask if you if you've done collaborations so that I'll be yeah. interested to hear how that goes if you move forward with it because I, I I find collaborating to be fascinating and always talking about it is fascinating because everybody approaches it differently. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And I've talked to him about it a bit and you know, I'm a pantser, so I'll pro I'd probably drive him crazy, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. You never know. And we'll see if our, our styles are quite different, but that's kind of what I liked about us is that we could kind of mesh in an interesting way possibly. So we'll, we'll see. We'll can't see. wait to see how that comes about. Cause I also love a good romantic suspense. So I do too. So, and I haven't I haven't written in uh, one of those in a long time. So you're headed to the beach, as we mentioned at at the top of the interview. Yes. You went to Coastal last year as a reader. Yeah. What did you think of the weekend, and and how would you describe it to others who might be headed there as a reader? You know, I loved it. I really did. Um, in part because it, the focus has has so much more on the fantasy elements. I mean, not everyone's a fantasy writer by a long stretch, but but the majority have at least written fantasy. You know, whether it's paranormal, urban fantasy, fantasy, and all of it has to do with romance. And then you get the MF crowd and you get the MM crowd, and so you meet a lot of new authors, but also readers. And a lot of the readers have shown a remarkable. The MF readers have said, sure, I'll try one, you know, I'll try an MM, why not, you know, and we've ended up with a lot of new MM readers that way. So I think it's been a great, and it's, it's smaller than something like GRL, and the pace is a lot more relaxed. And so I really, I mean, I, I, I liked going as a reader. I did that with GRL the first time too, because mm -hmm. I wanted to see what the pacing was like and what was expected and, 
And, but coastal, I, I just had such a good time and there's the beach. I mean, there's the beach. Literally <laughs> so, right outside your door. Yeah. So literally you get a cup of coffee, you, you know, you're like, okay, well in between panels, I think I'm going to go for a walk on the beach. <laughs> so that was great. What was your favorite part from last year as, as you were there, you know, getting to take it in as, as the reader? You know, there's a bunch of things. I actually really liked the comedy panel last year. It had Lucy Lennox on it. It had it had Charlie Crochet on it, and it was just it was really a fun panel. They bantered well, and they and they really talked a lot about why comedy and and the, you know and and of course that's my bread and butter too. It's for whatever reason I tend to. It's not that I can't write a serious piece. I can, but I I migrate toward comedy. I, for me, that's you know that's that's my my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, oh. <laughs> that thing you could always do and always yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it's funny because you know for some people suspense comes easily or or the internal angst. That's I don't do internal angst well. <laughs> it's not my strength. But I but you know for me comedy does. I can I can come up with something, a funny situation, and, and something can go terribly wrong. I can always make something go terribly wrong. <laughs> How bad can it get? Yeah. Can I make it worse? <laughs> and, you know, as you're putting on the author hat this year, what are you looking forward to as you move into that role at Coastal? I don't know quite. I mean, there's going to be a lot of new things this year. They're doing a fun ice cream social. I'm, I'm participating in, there's going to be a group of us who do basically paranormal cards against humanity where we're making our cards. And so that should be really fun. And, you know, I really, I love seeing the MM crowd who comes because I know that, I think I know, I think I know almost every last one of them. Now. <laughs> and so that's really always great because it's seeing family at that point. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of great, great engagement that goes on there. And I'm an extrovert, so for me, it's 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 not so much the things as just getting a chance to to spend time with people. Awesome. Well, we're definitely looking forward to to seeing you there uh, in in just a month. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? You know, last year was our first as well, and I really liked that smaller aspect of yeah. it. Because um, yeah. GRL, it's only a few hundred people, but it can feel big and like hustle and bustle. And I got to relax more at Coastal. Yeah. I could appreciate sitting in on a panel. I could appreciate just having a moment, having a conversation in the hall without feeling like I had to get somewhere quickly um, for the next yeah. thing. And so that more relaxed atmosphere, I really liked. And getting to meet authors who I don't see ever because, you know, that crisscross and that networking with authors who are not solely MM focused. Yeah. Um, No, that's really nice too. I I do enjoy, like I said, I enjoy meeting new people anyway. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's a great opportunity, but I think, I think you just hit it. I mean, I, I think for people who are really overwhelmed at the idea of something like GRL, Coastal is a great place to start and, and, and to continue because, it is. It's so relaxed yeah. and you don't feel overwhelmed. And there's just times at GRL where I feel, I love it. I mean, I absolutely adore it. That's, you know, that's my conference every year, but, but I will say that it is to the point, you know, you can't see everyone. I'll be like, hi Jeff, how are you? So let me give you a hug. It's great to see you. Where's you doing? You know, and, and, and that's maybe be our whole exchange that whole week, yeah. you know, because there's so much going on there. And I feel like at, at Coastal, it's so much easier to be like, you want to grab a cup of coffee? Like, let's sit down and, you know, can we have a talk? Hey, which panel are you going to next? Let's go sit together. You know, it's just yeah. so much more where I get that engagement with, with people. Um, and, and I do really love that. And I think Coastal, for people who are perhaps hesitating to go to an event, Coastal could be a good gateway because it's like, oh, I handled that. Yes. Now maybe I, GRL or maybe, you know, book lovers or maybe whatever that other thing yeah. is. Well, and Jen and her crew are great. Oh. I mean, they really try to make everyone comfortable and have a great time. And, you know, they really, I mean, they go above and beyond. So as do the organizers for GRL, but, but, you know, I mean, I just, I really appreciate Jen and, and I, she's just such good work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So how can people keep up with you online, keep up with when his fairy share comes out and everything else you're looking at for 2020? Yeah, well, the easiest way is either through my website, 
which is just www.meganmaslow.com. Or they can, you know, find me on Facebook. I actually am starting a Facebook group with the launch of this book. I've been, so many people are like, why aren't you doing a Facebook group? Well, you have to be there every single day <laughs> trying to, you know, not be on Facebook quite as much. But I am really, I am going to actually launch my group along with it. But for now, you know, I just have a regular Facebook account that people can find me easily. And I, and I try not to be on Twitter, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> That's a good mindset to be in. Stay away from Twitter because it can be a lot. <laughs> so we will link up to all those things uh, in the show notes so that people can easily get to them and to your books. And I look forward to seeing you at Coastal next month. Yes, I am so excited for this. So, And it's, it'll be great to see you guys. And like I said, we should sit down and have a cup of coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Hey, no problem. And thanks for having me again. This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayVictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Megan for joining us this week. We are one month away from going to the beach. I can't wait for that. And Coastal Magic is a beachside reader weekend that celebrates the magic of stories and storytellers. It's a super casual convention and book signing in Daytona Beach, Florida, and their goal is to bring authors and readers together for a memorable weekend by the beach. With panels designed to start interesting discussions and meet and greets with fun themes, there's something for just about every reader. While there is a schedule, there is also plenty of time for authors and fans to just hang out together. Saturday's book sale and signing is open to convention attendees and also free to the public. We hope you join us for all the fun February 20th through 23rd, 2020, and you can get all the details at CoastalMagicConvention.com. All right. I think that'll do it for this week's show. Coming up next in episode 225, we'll be talking to author Macy Blake. Yes, she has got the scoop on the finale for her Chosen One series, and we're also going to find out what exactly is coming up next for her. Remember, guys, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.